Welcome to Forest City Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We hope that you find today's message encouraging on your journey of figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus in the 21st century. Welcome to Question and Response Sunday. If you are new, uh, Amy and I, we get in these stools, we sit at this table that we do, and it's our talk show, joking, it's, uh, it's our time to take moments to address the questions that you're asking. We do this two or three times a year, where through a series we collect your questions, and then the last Sunday of that series we address them. We love questions around here. We think questions are, and wrestling with questions actually creates a lot of vibrancy in your spiritual life. And so we welcome questions. We're not scared of them. We're not intimidated from them. But we, either, we believe these are the moments where we want to actually answer the questions you're asking rather than just speaking from the place of our own personal convictions. Exactly. Um, besides the fact that I do pretend it's a talk show because... That'd be a lot cooler. Just kidding. Um, but anyways, we love your questions. We're so thankful that um, as we continue to do these, uh, you continue to submit your questions. And um, it's a great way to catch, uh, you know, the things that people are um, wondering about that we've either missed or been unclear about or haven't addressed. And so today we're going to do our best to answer um, the main themes that we picked out through uh, the different questions that were uh, submitted. Some of them, unfortunately, we just will not have the time to get to. We have prepared to the best of our abilities. We're going we're gonna to speak on 1.5 speed to make sure we can get in as much as possible. Um, I will say, though, just on a specific point, there was quite a few questions that came in around unanswered prayer and suffering. Uh, I would highly suggest, just for the sake of time, you go back and listen to the suffering series. Uh, and even the suffering series Q&A, Q&R, we spent quite a lot of time on that. So we have discussed that. That was something that did come in in this series. But make sure you go listen to that because we're going to try to address a few different ones today. Take it away. So six questions we're hoping to address. We might skip one or two depending on time. Uh, but we're hoping to get to six. Okay. So let's begin. Question number one. We're going for the big one right off the bat. Question number one. What are some ways to stay motivated slash encouraged to pray when there is a period of unanswered prayers? Another person asked it in a similar way. How are we to trust God's judgment when we see him not answer the desperate prayers of his people, but seemingly answer those who aren't even praying to him? So this is a question that's all around the complexity and the mystery of unanswered prayers. Why are some prayers answered and other prayers are not? To begin, I want to start with a little story. Um, several years ago, I was uh, walking downtown Victoria. I was pastoring in the city at that point. I was walking with my lead pastor, his name Andy. And Victoria's a big city, but not that big that you usually run into people that you know as you walk around downtown. And we were just passing a barber shop, and he ran into this individual. And they, like, talked with this level of warmth and familiarity. He introduced me, and they just talked and caught up. And I could tell that these two have history. They knew one another. They were friends. And as we walked away, I said to Andy, I'm like, how do you know him? He's like, well, John, uh, he was a good friend of mine, one of my best friends. John actually started the young adult ministry uh, that grew up, blew up to be like 500 young adults on Sundays. And John started that ministry with me. In fact, he was, gonna, he was positioned to take that over and lead that in significant ways. But over time, his mother got really sick. And that, in fact, got diagnosed with cancer. 
And it was in that season that this church came around him and surrounded him with prayer. But people came up to him and they started giving prophecies or starting to say these things or at least claim to these prophecies that her mother was going to be healed, that cancer wasn't going to be part of her story and that, the, that you know, you could just keep praying and have faith and things are going to be changed. I know it. God's up to something big. The whole church gathered around him and prayed for him. She died. She died from her cancer diagnosis and this was just simply too much for him. And he goes on and says he couldn't quite understand why people assured him with great faith that she would be healed. And he couldn't understand why all these prayers of these good followers of Jesus couldn't heal his mom. And why do other people seemingly never pray or never even, even acknowledge God, but they get given so much in their lives. See, when we talk about unanswered prayer, this is not just simply an intellectual exercise for us. We hear these stories with real emotion. And for John, it was just too much that the mystery of prayer and why his prayers for his failing mother never got answered. And so why do some prayers get answered and other prayers don't? Well, we're going to turn to uh, Pete Gregg in his great book, um, How to Pray. And he gives a helpful response to this. He actually has another book called God Unmute, where the whole book is designed around the question of unanswered prayer. And Pete Gregg uh, started 24-7 prayer, but he also speaks from a personal conviction here. See, his wife for years has, con- has suffered an, ailing, have an illness that he has prayed for over and over again for, for healing, but has never seen it into reality. And so he's intimately aware with this tension of praying for something and not seeing it come into fruition. So he suggests that most of God's answered prayers can be answered with God's world, God's war and God's will. So I'm just going to take a moment to just address each one around the subject of unanswered prayer. First, God's world. This is what world. This is what he says. Going back to the football game, uh, remember we started off the series about the football game, two people praying earnestly that the kicker would miss the field goal and the other person was praying that the kicker would make the field goal, right? This is a reality that maybe some of us will experience later today in Super Bowl Sunday. But doesn't gra- matter, Taylor Swift, that's all. That's all we need to know, Taylor Swift, the end. I was wondering how long we were going to get in until T.S. was uh, talked about. Um, Greg suggests uh, that God actually doesn't get involved in the day-to-day operations of the world, and that he lets, um, he lets the world take its course as it's established it to be. This is what he says, quote, God has intricately established certain governing principles that make the world work best for most people in most places most of the time. The majority of humanity does not experience devastating natural disasters. Most babies are born healthy. Fallen nature still contains far more beauty than ugliness. And so God tends not to tinker with these extraordinary, delicate, complex, and effective rules every time we pray. In other words, Greg is saying that God lets science take its natural course. Otherwise, every bride that's praying for her son would be the vein of every farmer who needs rain. We see the complexities around here, right? And so it doesn't mean that God doesn't break into the laws of nature. And we see Jesus doing this and when he's turning water into wine. And many different times, he seems to, there seems to be exceptions. But for the most part, God seems to let nature and the laws of nature take its course. So that's God's world. Secondly, God's word. The New Testament writers seem to be clear over and over again that we are at war, that there is a spiritual war at play, and that this spiritual war sometimes um, aren't 
um, answers some of the realities of why some prayers go unanswered. That there's active work of the enemy that's in the place of the world. This is a larger conversation, one we don't have time today, but it acknowledges some realities, some devastating, horrible injustices that happen in the world actually go against the will of God because the enemy is still at hand. The New Testament writers talk about that at length. Finally, Greg talks about God's will. And this might be the hardest one for many of us. Some, ans- some prayers are unanswered not because they're opposed to the laws of nature or opposed to satanic pa- uh, pract- powers, but they're opposed because they go against the will of God. In fact, Jesus, when he instructs us to pray, he says, pray in a way that our, our will aligns with the will of God. But this is challenging. This is challenging for many of us because we assume if we can't see a clear reason for why God would not grant a prayer, then there can't be a good one. But prayer, and those of you that have prayed consistently, know that prayer is a daily motion of trust. It's trusting the God who's created the galaxy and the billions of stars and all the different complexities of that, trusting that that God knows what's best for us. The original temptation of Satan and the, and the snake in the Garden of Eden was, can you trust God? Has God got your best in mind? And so for us, when we pray, we're praying the prayers of trusting in God and his will. In fact, Jesus' last prayer, one of his last prayers, his most earnest one the night before his betrayal or the night of his betrayal, he pleaded with God. He pleaded with God. But his prayer was unanswered. But he ends that prayer by saying, not, not my will, but yours. So there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of reality around unanswered prayers, but I think um, Greg helps give us a little bit of a framework to see in some of those things. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to move to question two and just off of that, because I think that we often struggle. I'm going to read out the question. Uh, question number two, it'll come up on the screens for you. How do you approach prayer with humility? Um, And so sometimes it's that tension of how do you approach prayer with humility that's both an expectation that God can do things, but an understanding that what is in his will will be. And so the intrinsic nature of prayer is that of humility. Uh, When we think about the natural state of prayer, uh, usually when somebody prays, they're either looking up like a why God, which would imitate that of a child to a parent. Or often those kind of when you picture somebody praying, they say, now bow your heads. And that would very much indicate that idea of the reverence uh, that you would see displayed towards royalty, towards a king or a queen. And so the very idea of prayer, whether that's the, the physical posture we take, but more so the posture of our hearts is that when we are praying, we are simply acknowledging, I need something more than myself. I need to look to someone more than myself. Often that is why for, pe- for lots of people, prayer is a very last resort. It's like, I can't do it, but I need somebody who can. And so uh, one of the questions that came in around this was, is there a physical posture I should assume when I pray? And often that idea that comes to our head is, is that like head bowed, hands clasped, um, you know, kneeling posture. Uh, and do is this is this the you know correct posture? Kind of like when you've got your cell phone out and you're like, is this a better signal? Is this a better signal? Uh, short answer is no. Uh, there is not a posture for prayer. 
However, are there postures that uh, allow us to be less distracted, uh, allow us to focus better? I believe so. I believe that when you pray with your hands clasped, uh, you're a lot less likely to scroll Instagram when your hands are clasped together. It's like your brain just kind of drifts over here and you start scrolling. Uh, or, you know, when you're, you're kneeling down, you are assuming a posture that this is, this is an intentional act that you are doing right now, that you are kneeling. Um, with your head bowed, you're not distracted, unlike my children who are looking at each other while we're praying through dinner. Uh, but, you know, to have your head bowed or your eyes closed is to facilitate focus. So can you only pray from a specific posture? The answer is no, because that would certainly uh, cut off many opportunities that we have to pray. Uh, last, I guess it was like the beginning of January, because it was a sunny day, and uh, I was walking through the woods with my dog, and I just came across, you know, a bit of a clearing, and the sun was streaming through. It was actually, it was on my birthday. And I just remember stopping right there because it was so picturesque and I had forgotten what the sun had looked like. And I was there looking at the sun and I just closed my eyes and I don't do this very often in the middle of a trail. There was nobody around me so I felt a little more comfortable. But I was like, thank you, God. Look, I just took an opportunity to just thank him for this day. Thank you for this beautiful trail so close to my house that it was this opportunity for worship. You know, as I was reflecting, it was my birthday. I was just thanking him for this year. Uh, you know, I drive my kids to school in the morning and often um, I'll ask them, is there anything you want prayer for today? And we pray in the car. Um, and we, we often, you know, I pray as I go into meetings often that it's like, would your Holy Spirit be there before I get there? And these are all moments that I am not necessarily able to, you know, clasp my hands and close my eyes as I'm driving down the road. So I think um, there is opportunities for us to be less distracted uh, but when we do get distracted in prayer, whatever that looks like, it is a beautiful opportunity to bring your thoughts back. It's a beautiful opportunity to acknowledge God and just say, Lord, I'm here, I am listening, and, and just to have a conscious moment of reflection. But ultimately, the posture of humility is to sit at the feet of Jesus and this is a childlike posture. We talked a little bit about this when we talked about prayer as petition, that we're not necessarily like sitting on the floor with like a, you know, the, the Jesus candles that you see in many, in, uh, many Catholic households. But I will read you this verse out of uh, Matthew 13. And he, it says, he called, to the little children, he called the little children to him and placed the child among, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, lowly meaning insignificant, not important, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this scripture is full of these like upside down, topsy-turvy pictures of like, you know, you need to be like this lowly, unimportant child and then you will be, you know, you're promised so much greater than when your greatness is, you know, the thing you're banking on. And the point is, as we talked about in petition, and then Pastor Des talked about a couple weeks ago, it is this relationship piece of that you come to God the Father, that you are coming to him with an expectation and a trust. And I think this is where people can get a little bit confused with the idea of humility, and maybe that's where this question originally came from, is that we are running to God in confidence. We're running to God in confidence like a child runs to a parent. Yeah that the child is running to the parent knowing they will provide them what they need. 
And the problem is that my children have is that they run to me knowing I'm going to cover their needs, but they don't always like it. That it's like, you know, can I have, you know, a juice box? No, we're about to have dinner. You cannot have a juice box. And they're upset about it. But I know things about my children's blood sugar level that they cannot comprehend at this age. So there is a humility that we run to God with expectation. We're running to him knowing that he will do what is the very best for us. But also the humility to trust not my will, but your will. And so this is the humility in what in which we must approach God, that he is big enough to carry our expectations, but he is sovereign enough to give us actually what we need. I love this quote that says, after doing everything humanly possible, prayer is the confession of dependency. The best evidence of a trusting heart is a praying mind. Desperate people pray well. And that's Peyton Jones that said that. And I just believe that this is where we need to be, that it's like, God, not your will, but mine. We see that in the, in the Lord's Prayer. And, and I could talk about this for on and on and on, but I'm not going to take that much time. But ultimately, humility comes from a trust in God that his will above our will. Great. Question number three, halfway. What's the best way to deal with prayer life when it doesn't feel like God is being fair? Is it really okay to be angry at God in prayer? What if that moment pushes us away from God instead of pulling us closer to God? Great question. And so the question is, can we really be angry with God? Can we really show up to God and blame him and be frustrated at him? I think part of this question comes out of like Des last week when she just talked about sitting angry with God for a couple months. She's like, every time I went to prayer, I just was angry at him and I let him know. Um, So I want to address this question by looking at two themes. First, I want to look at the biblical theme for this. And then um, just the second one is the nature of how relationships work. First, the biblical theme. If you read the Psalms, all 150 of them, you would see that a common theme of the Psalms is what's called the Psalm of Lament. And if you read the Psalms of Lament, you know that they are full of grief, confusion, frustration, and yes, even anger towards God. But I think one, even one of the more powerful scenes of sh- demonstrating how we can actually approach God with our anger and our frustration and all the things we're feeling is the book of Ruth. If it's been a while since you've read Ruth, let me give you a refresher. Um, Ruth is about um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, who travels to Moab. And there her husband dies and she's remained a widow. But both of her sons married Mo- Moabite women. Um, but then over time, this was the ancient world, both of those sons died as well. And so not only is um, now Naomi a widow, but her two daughters-in-law are widows as well. And she's feeling completely defeated and frustrated about this whole thing. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to where you're from, go back to your families of origin, go back to the gods that you used to worship. And she has this whole bit, you read it in the roof, she has this whole, like, she's like, God has left us. He has abandoned us. There is, she is like complaining. She's grief. She's got all this stuff going on forever. And she's just this, this place of frustration, anger of God. She's like, it's better for you, daughter-in-laws, to go and serve your gods than to spend any more time. I'm not going to have any more, any more sons for you to marry. I'm just lost. And one of the daughter-in-laws actually goes back. But the story of Ruth, Ruth stays with Naomi. And not only does the text say she stays with Naomi, but she's like, and your God, Naomi, your God, the Jehovah God, the God of the Hebrews, your God, I want that to be my God as well. 
which is a confusing moment, isn't it? Because this is the worst pitch for why you should follow God. He's terrible. I'm angry at him. He'll just abandon you. Don't follow this God. Why? Because Ruth's God, the ones that her people served, you could never be honest with their God like Naomi was honest with her God. See, the God that Ruth and her, her people group followed, you, you only came to God with this reverence. You only came to God with this respect. You only came to God with having all of your pleasantries in line. You could never be so honest and vulnerable and angry with God like Naomi could. And so I think there's actually a lot of examples in the biblical story, if you read it, of where people come to God being angry, confused, frustrated, and they actually direct that in prayer to God in several occasions. But I think Mark Buchanan says it best when he talks about this. He says, God receives complaints about himself. He is his own complaint department. <laughs> he takes them. He's happy to take them and receive them. Um, so that's like the biblical witness. But then I think there's a, another aspect of this, of the nature of how relationships work. If our relationship with God is going to be a real relationship, then it has to be honest. Let me give you a marriage example to help you kind of see the parallels with our relationship with God. Sometimes we think marriage, and maybe you're not married, or maybe you are, and, but if you are, you probably know, but sometimes we think marriage should be full of these pleasantries um, where, you know, we never fight. Everything's good. And the only times we speak to each other is with lovey-dovey, happy, this, this verbiage that's just so enriched and just full. But... We know that marriage, when you stop fighting for it, you stop fighting for its survival. Meaning that if your marriage is one where you just only come to the other person when you have nice things to say, then that maybe is not a real marriage at all. That we know when marriages actually end is actually when you stop fighting, is when you become passive. We know that the tension of marriage is actually when you have resentment or you have frustration, you keep it in and you don't share it with the other. See, marriage, those that are married for a while know that marriage at sometimes can feel like a fight. You're fighting for the survival of this relationship, and that means you bring every aspect into that relationship. You don't hold anything back. And what makes this such a beautiful relationship, marriage, is because it's full of highs and lows. That you understand that sometimes your partner goes through seasons of depression or seasons of frustration, or seasons that you just, you never signed up for, but that's the reality of those marriages are. So let's now take that idea of nature of relationships back to God. Why is it so important for us to bring all these aspects to the Lord? Why is it important that we come with our anger, and our grief, and our frustration, and our confusion? Why, why is it so important that we bring these parts to the Lord? Because you're not a disconnected person. You are all the different parts of who you are interconnected. So when we show up in a place like this and we sing songs about Jesus, we're showing up with our whole selves here. We don't leave the anger and the frustration and the, the misunderstanding. We don't leave the resentment. We don't leave all those things at the door when we walk into places like this. And when we close our eyes and get in a position of prayer, it's not like those things are no longer with us. They're still deeply part of us. So if you are not processing your emotions with God, then who are you processing them with? 
that I have found actually when I process my emotions with God, even if those emotions are against them or frustration or anger or what have you, I have found that these emotions, when I spend time processing them and praying about them, it's actually where I found out these emotions are roots to bigger realities in my life. That why am I so mad about this? Why am I so frustrated about this? These, these emotions are trying to tell me something. And when we take time with the Lord and we pray about our whole selves, every aspect of how we're feeling, it actually maybe reveals some bigger realities that's happening in ourselves. So to say it simply, we come to God with our whole selves. And processing our emotions with God can be one of the most healthy things that we do to process how we're feeling about different things. And our emotions are trying to tell us something. And if we take time to sit with God with our emotions, I, I think that on the other side of that, God reveals many different things about that um, we need to learn. That's great because that ties really well into question number four, um, which is a question close to my heart because uh, Jordan would know this well about me, but I'm complicated. Um, that's probably not a surprise to any of you that have ever had a conversation with me. Uh, but question number four is around the idea of what is a healthy balance of praying for yourself and praying for other people? Is it selfish to pray for yourself? So as Jordan just said, you know, there's this element of working things through, and it would be really easy to take all the time in the world to pray for yourself. But I really believe as we get into a truly um, rich and fulfilling prayer life, uh, this naturally begins to change. And in John 14, sometimes the way uh, scripture is broken up in our English translations, uh, it'll kind of put topics uh, in their own paragraphs within the chapters. And sometimes it can cause us to disconnect if a paragraph is above another paragraph that those two thoughts are, are not part of the same one. But um, I would, I would uh, suggest to you this uh, verse in chapter 14 of the book of John, uh, and then as it flows into verse 15, which is in a separate chapter, or not chapter, in a separate paragraph rather, uh, that these two actually create a lot of uh, nuance that we might not otherwise naturally see. So I'm going to read them for you. So it says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then it jumps to a new paragraph. If you love me, keep my commands. But if we read that all together, it says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. Which in my brain, and for many years, I interpreted that as the same as Jordan saying to me, if you love me, you'll watch the Super Bowl with me after church. Which is basically saying, like, I know you don't love this, but since you love me, you'll do it for me. I was like, if there's snacks, I will come. But that actually, I don't believe, is what Jesus is saying here. Right. He's saying, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. Which I believe is actually saying that as we grow to love God, the things that we begin to petition and request and hope for are the things of God. Yeah. That as we grow in our love for God, we are becoming people that want to see the things that God is about. We are about God's business. And so we often take this verse that says, you know, if you love me, keep my commands. And it's like, I don't really like doing that, but I'll do it because I love God. 
But it's like as this relationship is cultivated, as you grow in your faith, these things will become natural. And this is the tricky, the tricky thing about prayer. It's a little bit sneaky. Is that prayer doesn't just change circumstances. It changes us in how we're viewing circumstances. The more time that we spend praying the more time that we begin to sense our own sense of responsibility in whatever the thing is we're praying for. And so I, I love, I, I believe it's a Hillsong lyric. I remember singing it in Bible college. But this idea and this request, I believe it's from the song Hosanna, and it says, break our hearts for what breaks yours. So as I pray for myself, as I'm praying, Lord, I need you. I need you because I need to see the needs around me. I don't want to walk through this life with a calloused heart that I'm only focused on myself. And I think that two of the ways we can best practice this is two filters. I think these are a great benchmark if you're wrestling with this idea of do I spend too much time praying for myself. Two filters for overcoming self-centered prayers. One, if all my prayers were answered tomorrow, would anybody else's lives change? Either by the fact that my Posture and approach has changed. Perhaps you are praying, like, Lord, give me the compassion to deal with this difficult coworker. Or maybe you're praying specifically for the coworker. But would anybody else's life change if all your prayers were answered tomorrow? And two, am I praying for my enemies? And enemies is a very broad word. I feel like it's only used by like five year old boys on the playground being like, he's my enemy, my arch nemesis. We don't really use the word enemy, but when we, but the Bible talks a lot about praying for your enemies. And because while we are receiving the benefit of prayer as we are praying and saying like, God, change my heart, soften my heart. One of the greatest things I've ever been challenged with is praying for those who persecute me, for those who misunderstand me, for those who have hurt me. Because eventually the same forgiveness that God has lavished upon me I want to experience that in how I treat others. I want to be a person that is full of grace. I want to be a person who is full of forgiveness that is radical and undeserved and not just like, I forgive you. But like, I really forgive you. I want the best for you. So for those situations where it's like, I just want, I am in my own world. It's like, am I praying for those that make my life difficult? So those are two options. The Lord's Prayer is a perfect example of this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us what we need to accomplish this. Give us what we need to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my will, but your will. That's good. Um, I think we're going to have to skip question five, and we'll just jump to question six. Question five was just about who we thought was going to win the Super Bowl and our theories around that. So um, Taylor Swift. So we're all, she's, not, she's not playing. You know that. I know that. Anyways. Oh. Uh, question Well, this six. changes everything. Question, question six. Question six. And then I'll close. I think you could say question five. We got time. No, we don't. But uh, you have Guess to say this in five minutes. Guess who's the fun pastor? You have to say this in five Guess minutes. Guess who's the fun pastor? I got a good conclusion okay. that we'll just... What is the up. easiest way to rekindle a prayer life? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Um, the easiest way to rekindle a prayer life. I saw this analogy once, which I'm just going to throw in here for free. But often we believe our spiritual lives are like a ladder. 
and we're slowly climbing up the ladder, and then we have a big fall, and then we start back at the bottom. But I believe our spiritual journey is actually more like a walk, that you're walking and you trip, and you get up and you keep walking. That God is not like, back to the bottom you go, because you've learned. There's been some life. There's been some history. And there is things you are learning from that experience. So perhaps it has been a season for you where you're like, ah, I, you know what? I haven't opened my Bible in a long time. Or perhaps you're like, I've never opened a Bible. I'm brand new to church. I don't know anything about praying. That sounds really religious. Um, so here's a couple quick things. With any professional athlete, the thing that they continue to work on is the basics. They will continue to go back to the basics. When Tiger Woods got back in after all of his stuff, he hired his original swing coach, right? No, you You're go gonna ahead. You're going to let me flail. You go You're going to let me flail. Anal- He's you like, you just go with your sports analogies. Yeah. It's because I'm the fun pastor. Okay. Anyway, and he went back to the original like swing that he had worked on for many years. I remember hearing this in a sermon. I can't remember what the guy's name is. But... Just like going to the gym after you've been away from the gym for a long time, you're not going for your personal best. You're going to get to the gym. And you're going to go walk on the treadmill, and you're going to leave. You did something. You've been there. All or something. So likewise with prayer, this series is titled The Practice of Prayer. Practice is one of those things, whether that's you're practicing medicine, you're practicing yoga, you're practicing law. Some of you can't hear me because all you heard me was to say the word yoga. But like everything, there is never an arriving. You are always practicing. You are always growing. You are always learning and getting better. So this is the approach we have with the practice of prayer. Pete Gregg, in his book that Jordan always talked about, right off the bat, like second chapter in, says, keep it simple, Keep it real, keep it up. Those are the tenets of prayer. So keep it simple is really that simple. It is a lot of work to go anywhere when you have children. This is the secret that nobody told me. They tricked me into having kids. I did not realize it doesn't matter if you're going camping for one night or six nights. You need like six carloads of stuff. We used to take like a tent, sleeping bags, and a toothbrush, and we were good to go. There is nowhere simple with kids. You just feels like there's so much more work involved. To go for, go for a jug of milk at the store, it is way easier for me to jump up and go and get a jug of milk if I don't have to take any kids with me. There's no car seats to do up. There's no snacks, nothing. Sometimes that's how we approach prayer. I need to have all the right things. I need to be in the right place. I need to be in the right whatever. You will pray a lot more often if you are keeping it simple. This is how I feel. This is what I need. Don't make it difficult. The name of Jesus is a prayer. It can be that simple. So two, two prompts if you're looking for a way to just, I don't even know how to pray. Two prompts. The first one is a book by a woman named Anne Lamont, and this is the way you could structure your prayers. Help, thanks, wow. There is petition, there is thanksgiving, and there is worship. Lord, just help me with this family dynamic. It's so tricky. Lord, thank you for how you have just answered our prayers about our children's school. They really needed that program assistant or whatever. Lord, thank you. Wow, God, look at how you're working in my life. Thank you for being so faithful. Help, thanks, wow. Second of all is the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes that prayer can feel really high and lofty. 
But really, I, I challenge you, get the Bible app on your phone. You can read that in the message translation. And that's just going to bring it just into your everyday language. But the Lord's Prayer literally covers all the bases. This is what Jesus, this is the blueprint Jesus gives his people, gives his disciples. Archbishop Justin Welby says, The Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. Read it again. Keep it real. When people find out I'm a pastor after they've had a conversation with me for like half an hour, they'll go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I think I said Jesus Christ earlier. I'm really sorry about that. I think I swore a few times. And I will generally respond with, I would rather know the real you than the you I think you want, that that you think I want to know. And God's the same. Jesus talks about the Pharisees and their pomp and their circumstance and how it is nothing in the ears of God compared to that of those praying from an earnest place. Keep it simple. Even Jesus wept before God saying, Lord, please take this from me. It was true. It was real. It was right from the heart, as Jordan already said. And lastly, keep it up. No one goes to the gym, 200 pounds overweight, and in one session comes out looking like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay? It's never happened. Reality TV has you fooled. It's achieved over time. It is baby steps. And I believe this quote sums it up. Educationalist Frank Lobach says, compared to, co- compares prayer, compares praying to throwing rocks in a swamp. Each rock sinks without a trace. The exercise seems pointless, but it keeps going, but it, keep it going long enough. Keep throwing those rocks, and the swamp will eventually be filled. One day, one rock will be thrown that will not sink. Solid ground will begin to appear. Every person you admire in life, their rich prayer life, they started somewhere. Sometimes those prayers, it's just you getting in the right posture, the right position, and you're like, I'm here, God. Maybe it's setting up a reading corner that when you sit down, it is an expectation that here's my Bible and my notebook, and I'm just going to start a Bible plan on, or start a reading plan on the Bible app. Maybe... um, uh, Ken Shigamagatsu at 10th Church in Vancouver talks about that he has an app that it has these like monastic bells that he listens to that just brings him back to focus as he's praying. It's just these moments. I know people that take a hint from the Catholics and they have like a rosary or some symbol that helps them pray through something. Keep it simple, but just keep doing it. It's a muscle. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The more your heart leans into prayer, the more natural it feels. Keep going. So just to sum that up. One, keep it simple. Two, keep it real. Three, keep it up. Several years ago, um, Timothy Keller, um, who just passed this past year from cancer, um, Timothy Keller is a pastor in New York City. Uh, He's been a mentor for me from afar, uh, you would know that I, I quote him a lot. Uh, his writings have been really important to me. He did a Q&R on Twitter, back when it was called Twitter, uh, and he, from different people sent in questions. And this is one question that came in. It says this, what's one piece of advice you would tell your younger self or something you wish you knew that you know now about the Lord? This is what he says. I would tell him, younger Keller self, that prayer is way more important than he thinks. It really stuck with me, because um, I think it was—I think it's for me. 
I think if I'm honest, I think I'm a person who just likes to see the outcomes and I like to put my hands into it and get, get busy and get to work. Um, but in this season, even around our church and who we want to become, we want to see the works of prayer in new ways. We want to be people that actually practice prayer. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we wrap up and our team's coming. And I just want to, I want to conclude with an invitation for you and for us. We started off this series with the practice of prayer and we planned it out about six months ago or a while ago before we even knew what 2024 was going to look like. Um, But our lead team, we went on a retreat uh, about... um, a few weeks ago, and every time we go on a retreat in January, we, we try to establish what's going to be the one big thing for us, what's going to be the one big thing that we're going to focus in on, what's going to be the one big thing that we'd love to see an outcome from this year, what's the, going to be the thing we're going to focus on. And we spent like several hours debating, wrestling, throwing popcorn at each other, establishing what this would be, and we landed on prayer. We said as a community, as a church, what we want to focus in on, what we want to what we want to actually see take place in our community in more profound and practical ways was prayer. And so we're starting to like put handles on that and see what that looks like. But I'm just, I say all this because we just don't want to be a church that just talks about prayer. We just don't want to go through this practice of prayer and just be like, oh, that was really good. I learned some things about prayer, learned some aspects, some great sermons around that. But we actually want to become people of prayer. There's like been conversations that I have with people regularly, friends of mine, that I have now started to take the bold step and say, hey, what would it look like when we have our phone call that we incorporate prayer into that? Maybe just a quick thing at the end, but maybe we create an element of prayer around that. What would it look like for us as a church for us to step into the vulnerability, the humility of asking for prayer from somebody? or praying for somebody else. What would it look like at the end of 2024 if we actually just don't do more church, but we actually become people who desperately and earnestly seek God's kingdom come through prayer? To say it another way, how would our church look different if we were people of prayer versus not? What are the things that only come through prayer that don't come through our own doings and our own rhythms? So the prayer ministry team, they're here today. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to close as we always do. But I just encourage you, if you came with a roommate, a friend, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, maybe even this space as we sing, maybe there's something that you would love prayer for. Maybe we, we would pray together in your, in your pew. Uh, the teams up here, Everett and Sands, they would love to intercede and pray for you. Amy and myself are here. But guys, we want to get after these things. Because I want to be the type of person that doesn't just do things out of my own ability, but I want to be the type of person that positions myself to direct God's grace through prayer. So Heavenly Father, Once again, we come to you in prayer. And as we sing, and as we step into these new spaces, Lord, may we be people of prayer. So Lord, would you give us the courage 
to vulnerability, to humility, to step forth to receive prayer, to step forth and Lord, just hear that small voice saying, pray for this other person, pray for this need. In the drive home, in the quiet times of the morning, in our commutes, in the busyness of life, before the stressful meeting, after the fight, whatever it is, Lord, may we just come and find commune with our Father through prayer. So Holy Spirit, may we be a people of prayer. May we find practical ways to pray and invite your presence into different spaces we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more resources, messages, or signing up for our current events, you can find everything on our website at forestychurch.ca.